0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Life in Christ, we walk through 1 John, written to the church for our joy, our holiness, and our assurance. So again, today we're going to uh, continue in our study of The book of 1 John. We're in chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 4, and we're just going to go down to verse 6 today. Uh, We originally planned on going from 4 to 10, but the Lord uh, did not want that to happen. As we've been singing here and and celebrating, and as as Nate has kind of shown us the gospel and and has turned the diamond a little bit with each of these songs, I get the task to to actually come along. and, And what John is going to do for us today is he is actually going to, to, to say, okay, what is sin? <laughs> and why do you need that savior that we just um, sung about? So that's my task today. Today and next week, I'm the, the herald that is that is just trying to, to convince you the hard part that, that sin will, will lead you down the, the the wrong path, that that I'm just the herald saying that, hey, the bridge is out, don't run that way and within that is is the good news the good news that christ has taken away sin and then next week we'll we'll look out how has how christ has defeated the works of the devil i came across this um the ending of a sermon that i thought was relevant to this passage It says this, as World War II was about to breach the doorstep of Germany, Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and some of you may recognize that name, preached a sermon entitled, Death is Swallowed Up in Victory. He closed the sermon this way. It says, when dark hours and when the darkest hour comes over us, then we want to hear the voice of Jesus Christ calling in our ear, victory is won. Death is swallowed up in victory. Take comfort in any... uh, and may God grant that then when we will be able to say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. It is in this faith that we want to live and die. John wants us to know today that Jesus came to defeat our two great enemies. Your enemy is not your spouse. Your enemy is not your family. Your enemy is not your coworker. Your enemy is not your neighbor down the street. Your enemy is sin and Satan. Those are your enemies. And what John's going to remind us the next two weeks is, is Jesus came to defeat both of them. This is why we celebrate Christmas, his incarnation, he, him coming to be with us, to take away sin, to to defeat the works of the devil. We can indeed hear the voice of Jesus calling out to us from this text. Victory is won. Victory is won. We need to keep this in mind as as we walk through this and as this passage challenges us and as next week is going to challenge us. we, We need to keep that in mind. He's already given us who we are, in many different ways, and we're going to look at that again. But he's also calling us to live a certain way. And if we get caught up into what he's saying about living a certain way, sometimes we lose sight of or we forget of these great truths that, okay, this is what Christ has already done, and this is what I'm living out of. It's not about me mustering up the strength. It's about all that Christ has already done for me so that I can live the life that he has demanding us to live. He is calling us to live. Last week, we saw that true believers that abide in Christ, and that's what living a righteous life is, a lot of times is described in the Bible as abiding in Christ. If we truly do that, we will experience three blessings, right? If we practice righteousness, as John would call it, we will be confident at his second coming, We'll be confident, we'll be able to stand before Him at His second coming, and we'll be certain that we are His children, right? This is a, a great truth that, that we need to hide in our hearts that to know, because as children, then we can go to Him whenever we mess up, whenever we sin, that we can go before the throne, that, that He's our Father, that we are accepted not because of what we've done, but because He loved us, because He first loved us. And, and the third thing that we learn, the third blessing we get is that we will be comforted Um, We will be conformed to Christ. That one day that we will be like him. We will be sinless like him. We will have new bodies. The the bodies of our flesh won't drag us in to sin. One day we will be like him. What a glorious day that will be. So we pick up today with John's challenging us to examine our everyday life. This is what he's going to do. He's going to get in our business a little bit, right? That's what he's going to do today. So verses 4 to 6 read this way. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one, here's the key part of today, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So he's going to test us today. He's going to ask us some hard questions. How are you living, and and the way you are living will truly expose whether or not you are His, whether or not you have truly seen Him, or if you truly know Him. So before we get into the the mix of that and and get into John messing with our business a little bit, um, what is John trying to accomplish? You know, I, I was thinking of this passage and, I, and I'm like, man, I stand up there and I'm just, you know, it's like I feel like I'm just, you know, the, the, the grumpy old man that's just like at everybody, right? And, and I don't want to be that way. And, and I don't want you to, to take a, a sermon that way because he is trying to do something. And, and I think if, if we lose sight of that, if we lose sight of what he's trying to do, then we'll just see it as that. We'll see this uh, Christianity as just some legal thing that we have to do. And then every time the preacher gets up there and he talks about, he gets in my business and tells me that I need to do this or I don't need to do that or I I need to stop doing this or I need to start doing that. We see it as as just someone meddling instead of what what John is truly doing. What is he doing? He's told us this. He's told us this in, in, in chapter one in verse four. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is what he's after. This is why he wants to mess with your business. This is why he calls people to come up here every Sunday to mess with your business. Because what God is trying to do is trying to get you to have greater joy. I mean, is is not all of life, Piper is right, who got it from Edwards, who got it from Paul, right? He's absolutely right. Every moment of your day, every moment that you are awake is a fight for joy, is it not? You are either on the path on the, the big, broad path of destruction, thinking that that's going to lead to greater joy, or you're on the narrow path, believing and trusting in Christ and knowing there's greater joy. The hard part is, is our flesh loves the big path, right? It loves the, this big path that, that, that the world offers us, and we think that all these things that the world gives us it is going to give us this greater joy. And Jesus is like, no, you need to follow the narrow path. There is greater joy here. This is what John is after. He's after your joy. He's after not just a happy life, not just for you to feel good, but a joy that surpasses. A joy that I see in our brothers and sister of Harry and Marlene. Joy whenever their bodies are failing them and they are wretched with pain, but there's a smile on their face and they say, you know what, I'm, Joe, I'm a little bit closer to going to heaven. That's Joy. That's not the happiness the world offers and, and this fleeting thing that the world offers. John's even already told us that. Do not love the world. Don't love the world. He's after our joy. Do we believe that? Do we believe that the God of the universe, the one that, that sent his son, even though we rebel against him, to, to die on a cross, to take away our sins so that we can become children of God, that his ultimate purpose is not just to make you miserable, but to give you greater joy? I think that's easy to believe. I guess it's easy to say, but harder to live out. And John's trying to get us to see this, that hey, look, If you're living a a certain way, if you're living always on this broad path, then maybe, just maybe, you haven't been born again. Maybe, just maybe, that that your profession of faith is, is not truly a profession of faith. And the good news is, is maybe today is the day of salvation. Maybe it's tomorrow, maybe it's next week, maybe it's already happened, but we've just lived quenching the Spirit all the time, and we're pretty miserable This is important for John. It's our joy. And the fascinating thing is what I saw as I was studying and I was trying to understand what does it mean to, uh, you know, abide in Christ. That's what he's saying. Because we got to go all the way back to 228, 226, whenever he, uh, 28, yeah, whenever he starts his thought about what he's saying about living this righteous life. Right, we, we, we kind of got to go back there because he says abide in Christ. What does it mean to abide in Christ, to be his disciple. Well, as I was studying that and learning, it, everything kept on pointing back to the passage that Chris read for us in John 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. There's this idea that it almost seems like that that John is taking this parable here and he's unpacking it all in first John. He's, he's kind of like saying, okay, let me show you how to unpack this to, in, in all the different things, the ways that you're going to go wrong. And, and, and the funny thing is is he had some false teachers that helped him along the way, right? He had some false teachers that were teaching some false doctrine that he was able to correct and, and then kind of point them back. But just listen again with, with a little bit of commentary of John, of, I mean, of Jesus' parable of the vine. He says, I am the true vine and my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that he does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may be more fruit. In other words, he's going to sanctify us. He's going to give us greater joy. That's what he's saying. He's saying that those that, that bear fruit, I'm going to, I'm going to." to to tweak you and prune you, and I'm going to show you your sin, and I'm going to bring brothers and sisters around you to help you with that, and I'm going to show you the gospel, and I'm going to bring someone alongside to show you who Jesus is so you see them, and then that stuff falls away from you. I'm going to prune you, right? That's what he's saying. This is what John is saying whenever he, he talks about do not sin, follow the commands of Christ, love your brothers and sisters, love God, right? It's being pruned, Already you are clean, because of the word that I have spoken to you. So he's talking to his disciples here. He's saying that you are already saved. you are already clean. My righteousness has already been credited to you. John has said that to us also. Whenever he was talking about, we have an advocate, he's talking about he's the propitiation for sins, that we are His children. This has been given to us. We are clean. And then what does he say? Jesus keeps on saying, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. In other words, if you're not connected to the vine, you're going to wither away. Now, how do we connect to the vine? Well, there's three ways it's the Word of God, it's the Spirit of God, and it's the church of God. The church, big church, in our faith family also. It's the people of God. That's how we abide. We abide in him by following his commands and all these different things that God has given us to help us in that. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What a great promise that is. If we're abiding in him... That means that we're not, don't hear this, we're not seeking out the, the broad path of, the, of what the world offers and, and what we think is. We are, we are so in tune with what God is doing in our lives and around us and what his word says that we can ask him and he gives it to us because we're walking with him. We're on his path. He is working in each one of us. He's working around us. He's moving things. He's doing things. In everything, he he has a purpose. We don't know it because we're not God. But he's given us enough to trust him. And here's another promise. Ask and you will receive. will receive. He said, by this, my, uh, my father's glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to me to be my disciples. There's Again, all of life is about joy, as Piper would say. When, when we are most satisfied in him, right, he's most glorified in us, right? That's, that's the idea. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, commandments and abide in his love. So in other words, see, see how he's saying? He's like, you want to know how I was kept sinless? Well, I abided in my Father's commandments. I listened to everything that he said. I didn't move until I prayed and asked him, asked him what he wanted me to do. Now, obviously, Jesus had a different, um, you know, mission somewhat than ours, but uh, you see that, that he was in connection with the Father. Now, listen, why is he doing these things? Why did he just tell him this? Why did he just tell him, okay, abide in the vine, abide in me, the same reason John gives us. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. See here, Jesus and John's after the same thing. He's after your joy. They're after your joy. You know, Jesus, John, and if we've read the book of James, which I know we've done several years ago, but many of you are familiar with it, are all saying the same thing. And this is, here is the simple thing. Here's the the simple point that we're gonna be making for two weeks. Doing is the test of being. Doing is the test of being. This is what John is saying. Doing is the test of being. Of being. You are free to be who you are. You are free to have complete joy because what Jesus has done by coming to defeat sin. And that freedom to be who you are is not who you think you are inside yourself, it is who the Bible says you are. Don't fall into the secular salvation motif of where you look inside of yourself and then you got to get everything out of your way because whatever you see inside of yourself needs to be what gives you joy and that's not it. The Bible's showing us, he's he's screaming at the the top, do not go down that path. Seek your joy in Christ, abide in him, follow his commandments, follow his love. You are free to, to be who you are and you are free to have complete joy. You are a child of God and you are free from the enslavement of sin. Now act like it, that's Joe's version. That is what John is telling us in today's verses. You are a child of God and you are free from the enslavement of sin. Now act like it. Being a child of God is incompatible with, practice, uh, with the practice of sin. John challenged us to live a life of righteousness grounded in the promise of his second coming. He says, okay, you have a hope. Live a righteous life now because you have a hope. And whenever this hope will give us some comfort or we know that we'll be like him and that we can stand confident in him, now also live a life of righteousness because of his first coming, because of the incarnation. That's what he's putting together here. That is kind of following his his old argument. John Stott puts it in proper perspective. He says that if Christ appeared first both to take away our sins and to destroy the devil's work, and if when he appears a second time we shall see him, and in consequence we shall be like him, how can we possibly go on living in sin? To do so would be to deny the purpose of both of his appearings so in other words if we're like okay i believe the incarnation that christ came to take away my sins and i really believe that one day he's going to come again but you know what i'm going to live however i want then you really don't believe either one of those things you really don't believe them because doing is the test of being if you are a christian if you are a disciple of jesus then you'll do everything you can to refrain from sin, to push away sin, to to fight sin, to repent from sin. This This is John's argument. There is an expectation for those who are in Christ, for those who are disciples of Christ, to live a life that reflects Christ. We are to be like Christ. And the first step in doing so is to see clearly about the nature of sin and how Jesus has dealt with it. So, verse 4 says this, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. John here defines sin for a purpose. Remember, there were those who were in the church who recently left who were teaching false doctrine, which was stealing the joy of those inside the church. They They were teaching all kinds of different false doctrines, one of which was, you know, perfectionism, like well, I, I'm perfect now. I don't sin anymore. Or sin doesn't matter, right? The, the Sin is done in the body, and my spirit will go to heaven, and, and sin doesn't matter anymore. They, these are kind of like the two polar opposites of, of what was then, and I'm sure there's all kinds of things in between these two, the, the two ends of that argument. These antichrists, those who opposed Jesus, they were teaching perfectionism. They were without sin. And John says, everyone who sins breaks the law. That is the nature of sin. Is breaking the law. Sin is described in the Bible multiple ways. It is described as missing the mark, transgressed against God's purposes. Here it is described in terms of lawbreaking. Man, by nature, because of the fall, because we have Adam's seed, right? Jesus didn't have that seed. He was born of the Holy Spirit and, and the Virgin Mary. He so said he didn't have that seed. We by nature are lawbreakers. Nobody taught us to break the law. Sometimes we do see, others do so, and maybe think it's okay, but nobody teaches us to break the law. Do we remember? Do you remember some of the things that, that your parents told you you did as a toddler, right? And they talk about them and you're like, "Ah, oh, why are you telling stories on me, mom, dad? What are you doing here? Well, no one taught us. They didn't teach us how to, to do those things right? I'll never forget, uh, so I'm in kindergarten, Mrs. Fogel's class in Western Port Elementary, and we had this time, it was either once a week or maybe it was a couple times a week, we had show and tell. Has anybody done show and tell? Anybody have show and tell in, in kindergarten? All right, okay. I just wanted to see if you're awake and with me a little bit, right? And so everyone had all these cool things, right? And there was one one dude, um, I won't say his name, um, but he always had the coolest things, right? He always had, you know, he just always had the coolest things to show and tell. I had nothing. So Joe's going to lie, right? I told him a crazy lie. My house burnt down last night. Where did that come from? Do you think my mom taught me that? I mean, you know, m- mom was a single mom, so so we had just what we needed. I never thought that I went without, but we had everything we needed, um, you know, so I didn't have all these cool things to show show and tell. So I make up this story and, and lie about, oh, my house burden. Now My grandma, who, because mom worked till 435, she would be the one that come and pick up, and here Mrs. Fogle's like, oh, Joey told me that what all happened, how can we help you? Do you need clothes? And my grandma's like, What in the world are they talking about? I had to have something for show and tell. Nobody taught me to lie. I'm a kindergartner, right? We're just born this way until we have the new birth. And as we have the new birth, we get a new heart, and then we we begin to walk away from that life. We begin to walk away from it. So sin is lawlessness, an act of rebellion, a defiant disregard and rejection of God's rightful rule as Lord over your life. This is important. If we see sin as just all, it's just, it's, it's no big deal, then you really didn't see what Christ had to do to cover that sin, right? You have not really seen him for who he is. This is, this is John's, he's, he's trying to start meddling our business a little bit now, right? You have not really seen. If, if you don't see the gravity of your sin, even the little lie, right? I'm a little kindergarten. No, I didn't get in trouble for that. I mean, mom was like, my mom was just, you know, I was the youngest, so I got away with everything. She was like, you better not do that again. That was the stand of it, right? But do you see that if we do not see the depth of our, what sin truly is, then we don't truly see what Christ has done and what, how much love God has to send his son to do so. So sin is it's an act of rebellion, a defiant disregard, and rejection of God's rightful rule over your life. He is Lord over your life. If you come to him, if you put your faith in him and, and he's caused you to be born again, then then he's called you a child. Now, it's not like, okay, I'm a child of God, and, and now I'll, I'll go do whatever I want to do over here, but I'm still going to pull out that card out of my back pocket, you know, get my identity out. I'm a child of God whenever it's I'm in trouble or whenever I want something or whenever, you know, it's it benefits me. No, that's not... It's not what John's saying. John's saying, if that's kind of you, then maybe what happened or what you claimed happened back at this point in time, which we'll get to, never really happened. Right? It never really happened. That's hard, that's hard to hear, that's hard to think through because some of us might be struggling with with sin that we are truly fighting, and and I'm not talking about that person, and John's not talking about that person. If you care and are struggling and and are continually fighting and and feel bad over your sin, that's a good sign. That means the Holy Spirit's dwelling in you and is convicting you of that sin. But if you can go and you can get drunk or you can have sex with your girlfriend and there's nothing about it in you, but you can roll in on a Sunday morning or call yourself a Christian, there's something wrong with your Christianity. You're probably not saved. That's that's the weight of sin. That's the weight of sin. John says, this cannot be of someone who is born again. Those who are born again love the law. They love the word of God. Romans 7:22 says for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. John tells us of those who were born again have the spirit of God who leads us into all truth. Sin is nothing less than personal treason against the sovereign of the universe. The ESV helps us here to see that John is not talking about those who sin and seek repentance. John is talking about those who make a practice of sinning, meaning they sin habitually without any remorse or any conviction or breaking God's law. There's a difference. Many times I'm talking with people in and, and, and different situations and, and, and they're worried about their salvation because they're struggling with this sin and they feel completely horrible about that sin. I'm like, don't worry about your salvation because if, you, right, if you're continually sinning and, and you don't care about it, then you worry. But if you're continually sinning and you're struggling with a sin and you're trying to get over a sin and you really feel bad about it and you're convicted about it and you're praying about it and you're doing different things about it, there's a good chance and there's a real good chance that you've been born again. You see how that's what he's saying, and there's difference. There's a there's a difference. What John is saying that sin is is the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of lawlessness given to us in Paul. Remember, the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians. He's described this way. He is characterized by one who opposes and exalts himself over everything that is called God or is worshiped, and even sets himself up in God's temple proclaiming to be God. This is the, the man of lawlessness, that that you proclaim to be God, that you take charge. Come on, if... If we're honest, loved ones, if we, if we are truly honest, the essence of that spirit is alive and well in each of us. We set up our own thrones, we put ourselves upon our thrones and we call ourselves God. We may not broadcast it, but we are the God of our own domain. We refuse to let God cross our will in obedience, which is being a lawbreaker. And if we are lawbreakers, we are guilty before God. So John reminds us, he reminds us after he's, he's pointing us to what sin is and, and is unpacking it for us and, and now we feel kind of you know crummy about it a little bit, now he, he reminds us that God in his love for us took care of that by sending Jesus. This is what verse five says, you know, that he appeared, Jesus appeared the first time in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. Right, see, we gotta see the depth of our sin. We gotta see what sin truly is in order to understand the salvation that that we are receiving. Because of our predicament, a great rescue is required. This is why Jesus came in the incarnation. Can you hear John the Baptist at the Jordan River? Remember what he was calling out? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His sinlessness is part of what qualified him to provide the needed rescue. We needed rescued. See, so much, so many times within the the Christian faith nowadays, it seems like it's more about what you do than what God does, right? Right? It's more about your decision. It's more about you walking an aisle. It's more about what you do. And and somehow it's like, okay, it's my decision to to follow Christ. And and we never understand that we were poor in spirit, that we needed a Savior. Because we need a Savior. We all need a Savior. We all need him. John's reminding us. He came, he sent his son to take away that sin. And he was sinless. He did not sin. John himself has already taught us he is the righteous one in verse 29 of chapter 2. And he is the pure one in verse 3 of chapter 3. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Peter agrees. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Christ indeed has appeared, lived a sinless life, and dealt with our sin. By his bloody death on the cross, Jesus removed and carried away our sins. The Son of God came to provide full and everlasting forgiveness of sins to all who trust in him. The big question that emerges from verse 5 is if Jesus has come to take away sin, has he taken away my sin? Has he taken away my sin? I don't know, only you can answer that. Has he taken away your sin? Has he? I don't know. How how do I know that? How am I going to answer that? How do I know that Jesus has taken away my sins? Well, John's not going to leave us hanging. He's going to tell us. He's going to tell us in the next verse, in verse 6. He says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Do you want to know? Do you want to know if your sins have been forgiven? Well, look at your life. Look at who's on the throne of your life. Look at how much you spend conversing with your Savior. This is what he's saying. The answer to that question, has Jesus taken away my sin, is to be found in our present experience. John's focus is not on key moments in a spiritual pilgrimage. His focus is on how are you living today? John does not take the approach of looking back at a moment in time where you can say, I know Jesus took away my sin. He does not say because we said a prayer or because we responded to an evangelical appeal or because we got baptized or because we joined the church. We've been asking the wrong question. We ask, can you look back in a time in your life where you asked Jesus to save you and we answer, well, yeah, or I think so, or what have you. That is simply not the question John asked. John asked a different question. He says, apply this test to your profession of faith and we will find out if the reality of what took place then is consistent with where you are today. Are you different than whenever you said, believe, believe, That you were saved are you different today than you were then because if you're no different then i'm pretty sure that you can say that nothing really happened there except you said a prayer or you made a confession this is big this is massively huge what john is opening up here it is in my present habitual behavior That I reveal to be in Christ or under the domain of the evil one's rule. The one who continues to sin has not seen Jesus or knows Jesus, or do they abide in Jesus? This is what John is saying. This is what John is saying. If a sinless Jesus came expressly to take away sin, verse 5, how can sin be cherished by anyone who is really living in Christ? John is saying, get in line with the program. Jesus came to remove the guilt and shame of sin on the cross. I have given you the word of God. He says, I- I've given you. Okay, not only have I sent my son to take away your sins, I've also given you in this book the word. This is my my, me speaking to you on a, a daily basis or minute-by-minute minute basis. I, I've given the word to you. And, and what, does, what does Timothy tell us that the word is good for? All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for the training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So not only did I send my son, I, I've given, I wrote down all, you know, so many different people that failed and, and I, I've showed you who I am and I've showed you the promises. I, I've written down how I, I've saved you and how much I love you and do you spend time with me in this way? Do you spend time with me in this way? Reading it and meditating on it and talking to God about it. Not only that, but you know what, I, I've... I've even changed your heart, and I've I've put the Spirit, my very own Spirit, the same Spirit within the Trinity. He is God. He dwells in us. Do we believe it? Which guides us into all truth and dwelling in us, producing fruit such as love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, generosity, faithfulness, self control. These are not optional. Somehow we've, we've taught in the church, you know, if there was more things written, this would be one thing that they would be writing about. These dudes came along and, and taught this falsely. That somehow like, you know, okay, Joe gets the, the gift of patience and, and Scott gets the, 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 the gift of joy and, and Karen gets the gift of, of peace. No, it's fruit. It's all one thing. It is a package deal. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, generosity, faithfulness, self-control. That's righteous living, all spelled out. And what did he do? He gave us the spirit. He says, here's the spirit. I'm gonna put it inside of you. And that spirit is going to consistently push you towards patience, gentleness. How many of us are angry all the time? How many of us don't have joy? We're concerned with the world around us. How much you know the self-control gets me every time? Look at me. Self-control, right? Food, sure. I get stressed, I go find some food. Self-control. Something I struggle with. And, and I know it, and it's it's right in front of my face when I'm just saying, okay, the Holy Spirit dwells in me. That means that that. The only thing that can be happening right now, and the only reason why it's not, is, is I'm thinking that the, the broad path of food is, is better than the joy of reading his word or being with him. you see that, how that works? The spirit is in you. He, he's pushing us towards this. He, he's, this, is his, this is who he is. And we're constantly quenching it, and we're quenching it, and we're quenching it. And we do so by sin. We do so by having desires that are not lined up with God's desires. And we're seeking after those desires. It's a real struggle. It's a real struggle for all of us in some way, form, or fashion. But we have the Spirit. We have the Word. He's given us the church. He's given us believers to to come alongside us to help. If we were actually pursuing it, It's not passive. Christianity is not passive. It's not like I make a decision. Okay, God, you do the rest. No, that's not Christianity. To follow Christ, to be a disciple of Christ, we must be doing something. We're striving for holiness. That is his will for our life. It's like, why do we profess to be Christians when so very little of the fruit is showing? Why? Because we are quenching the spirit with lawlessness. Think about the last two weeks of your life. And you know, even in this illustration, I'm like trying to find an illustration. How can I use an illustration where someone's not thinking, I'm talking about them? I want to find one that I think is just prevalent all over the place. And you know what? Here's how the Holy Spirit works. Even in this, even in this next illustration that's going to hit some and miss some, right? Even in this illustration, you know what God showed me? You know why you chose that illustration? Because it's the way you show your righteousness before God. Oh, okay, Joe. Okay, God. Now I need to repent. Right. This is how you become the older brother. L- listen to, and, and I'll, I'll put it together. Think about the last two weeks of your life and how many times have you told someone you would do something and just didn't do it. Something better came along, or was just too busy, or whatever excuse. FOMO, right? Oh, I, 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 I'll be there. I'll do that. But something better came along, so I'll just blow that off. It, it's like happens all the time and this is what he showed me it's because it's because one of the things that my pet peeves is if you know and I know that everybody had whenever they say I want to do something and then we're, the life comes you know something cuts the knees out from underneath of you and you can't fulfill it I'm not saying that but I'm saying this perpetual thing like whenever we say okay we're going to put on a roof for somebody at the end of the month but Will we commit to that? Well, I'll commit to that unless something better comes along that, you know, that idea, right? is very prevalent. But what God showed me was this, this, and this is how the Holy Spirit works, that what's really happened is, Joe, that's one of your pet peeves, that if you tell somebody you're going to do it, you're going to do it. And what he showed me is the reason why that happens is because that's how I make myself righteous before God. Oh, that's sin. That's Sin. Isn't it beautiful how the Word of God works and the Holy Spirit works? Because now Joe can repent of that and work on that. This is what he's showing us. With those who don't care about their sin, those who are, are just playing the game, man, you're not saved. This what John's saying. The test of being is doing. It's, it's doing. It's living this life. Jesus said this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But Jojo, you, you have been saying, you've already said that my righteousness is in Christ, right? Whenever we talked about him being an advocate and propitiation for our sins, you said, no, wait a minute, my, he's put his righteousness robe around me. yes that is absolutely true and what we do with it that truth really matters if we say i am not a righteous person you see all my righteousness is in jesus christ therefore he counts his righteousness to me and that is the only way my righteousness can exceed the righteousness of the pharisees so far so good right the problem then comes when the individual says therefore because i have righteousness credited to my account and none of my own therefore i do have i do not have to concern with righteous righteous living. That's where we fall into error. You know what, if this is antinomianism, this is the the idea that, okay, I'm saved, I I can't lose my salvation, and, and Christ's righteousness is credit to me, so therefore I don't have to pursue holiness. I don't have to, I can live however I want. No, that's not what he's saying either. That's a mistake. John has said and is saying, yes, that is true. Christ gives us his righteousness, and if we're not justified by faith, we do not have a hope. But to that, we must add that the evidence, the evidence and the marks of being justified will then be seen in our righteous behavior. This is what Jesus said, and this is what James said. This is what John is saying. The person who has been credited Christ righteous does not wear a t-shirt saying so, but is somebody who lives a righteous life. The evidence that you have Christ's righteousness is the fact that you live in striving towards a righteous life. That's the evidence that you are truly his. Fellowship with a sinless Savior and fostering a sinful life is a life Of contradiction. John is simply saying, Doing is the test of being. Let me close with John's words My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I know this was hard. You've helped me to see even sin in my life, and helped me to repent of it. And Lord, I just pray maybe there's one here today and your spirit has shown them they are a sinner. They have sinned against a sovereign, holy God. And maybe today is the day that you sent the spirit to change their hearts so they may have faith in you and trust in you. Lord, I pray for that person today that that they would do so. Lord, for those who have been walking With the Lord, those who have that moment in time that we look back to. Lord, may we evaluate and look at our life in the mirror today and ask a simple question Is there evidence? Is there evidence of Christ's righteousness? Is there evidence? Because doing is the test of being. Lord, help us, please. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.